Hello, what's up, Captain Hooter? Well, right here is Marcos from Below Deck. You know me. Wake and bake is my favorite meal of the day. So see you on board one of these days. Happy sailing. Stay healthy. Stay happy. Big hugs from me. Hope to see you soon, brother. Bye. Hooter here, coming to you high and alive in the Las Vegas of the future. How about this place? We are getting high, and I mean real high here. You know, I can't imagine what would this place look like if Planet 13 was running it. Holy crap. This, <laughs> this would be the entire space station would have to be Planet 13. Hey, do you guys remember the show that I just did last week with Larry Scheffler from Planet 13? Well... If you remember, during the interview, he kept talking about the guy who was the third leg, the guy who made all the difference there, and his name was Chris Wren. And you know what? He's with us here again today. Oh, hey, how are you? I hope it's okay. I'm, I'm recording something, an opening for uh, one of the shows that I do. I'll just finish real quick, and then I'll stop recording. Is that okay? Fantastic. Anyway... Today, what we've got is Chris Wren. Again, he's the third leg, one of the most important people over at Planet 13 in Las Vegas. And if he were here, we would have some sort of a tube or something attached to us right now where we'd be getting super high. Dude, it's going to have an, it's an incredible interview. I know you guys are going to love it. Enjoy this, and I'll be back right afterwards. People. Hello, everyone. Captain Hibby here, coming to you once again very high, maybe very much too high and very alive uh, with another great Wake and Bake. And this is our first follow-up Wake and Bake. Last week, we had Larry Scheffler from Planet 13 in, and we had a chance to talk about the new cannabis consumption lounges. And during that conversation, um, he started talking about Chris Wren, and he is our guest today. Chris, welcome. Welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me, and I uh, heard a lot about you, so excited to get started here today. I didn't do any of it. And you can't prove shit. You can't prove it. You don't have any video of me at all. I didn't do it. Uh, you, however, did do it. And you know the the story about how you got started with Planet Thirteen has been blowing my mind. I must have talked to twenty people about it, and and since the interview, um, what a set of circumstances to start your career. And oh, it was crazy. And you know the way he talks about it is one thing, and and. And as a real quick recap, you know, you were friends with his son, correct? Yes, we worked together on a paving crew. I was the quality right. control engineer and he was the superintendent. Okay, exactly. And uh, Larry thought that you were just a guy who worked on with, with his son. Ran a shovel, basically, you know, yeah. scraping <laughs> asphalt is what he was picturing. Absolutely. Okay, so now here's where all of this gets really fascinating to me. 
he, you know, I've spent some time with him now and I know his knowledge base of cannabis is pretty small. It's much larger now, but when I first met him and when we were talking about flowers and stuff, it was pretty small. Yep. You end up walking in and, you know, the way it sounds when you talk to him was he was surprised as much by your presence and your demeanor and your knowledge and your professionalism. And then you opened the jar. Tell, talk us through the story because it's, it's and, and I want to know what was actually in that jar and how much time did you take to, to put that Absolutely. jar? Absolutely. I love how you put that. Um, one of my favorite sayings is all about what happens when you open the jar. Um, because what we do here is a, basically a series of decisions and several months of work to determine what happens when you open the jar. And that's all that really matters. It's what fascinates me about cannabis and growing that you know, you're taking a long period of time, you're making a lot of uh, tweaks, decisions, and you end up with an outcome. It's kind of like a car race or a fight. You know, it's about that day. You can't go back in time and fix anything. Once it's done, it's done, you know. <laughs> yeah. um, so back to the story um, with Larry for that day. So I knew that, um, what do you say, the legalization was coming. I was a uh, what you'd call gray market operator here in Nevada sure. uh, with the uh, medical um, provisions for many years. And prior to that, um, it was very illegal. Nevada was a felony for a seed. And you know, I had started my cannabis career in the mid-90s, my career mostly smoking and brokering you know, small deals in high school to, to basically pay my way. I grew up very poor um, in a small town, in an alfalfa farming town, and uh, I enjoyed smoking and it helped me get through uh, that early period of my life. Um, right about 2001, they passed the first marijuana bill in Nevada where you could grow 12 plants but you couldn't, uh, what you'd say, receive consideration for transfer. So somebody couldn't give you a hand sandwich for a joint, right? Like no compensation <laughs> was allowed. You can grow it and smoke it, but that's it. So we lived under that for a little while, um, started you know, putting some grows together, putting some genetics together, and we're just gonna do it the way we wanted here in town. And um, saw the next wave of legalization coming down the pipe with the uh, medical dispensary bills. And the writing on the wall was basically adapted that, right? They're coming for us. Um, they had shut down a bunch of the uh, gray market shops and they were having a hard time with prosecutions due to the uh, ambiguity of the regulations at that time. So the new rules came out and set up these shops. So I read the rules and if you read between the lines, it's you know a lot of money. <laughs> it's basically yeah. tucked in every one of those requirements. And that was not my forte. I um, was a hard worker doing, you know, quality control engineering uh, for a paving company during the day with Larry's son-in-law and then doing clandestine cultivation work at night. Uh, so <laughs> went and I, I knew that uh, Larry was um, capable financially of pulling something like this off due to his prior um, political dealings, business dealings. Yeah and um, what I'd heard from, from his son-in-law. So I was begging and begging, hey, get me in front of your dad. Get me in front of your dad. Just let me meet him. I know he's going to want to make some money. He's going to want to get into this. You know, it's a new industry. It's a new opportunity. Let me talk to him. So kept putting it off, putting it off, and finally got up there. And uh, the wife dressed me up in a suit. Um, you know, I had my little my case, and I had put together a set of drawings for a 25,000-square-foot commercial size grow. Um, with just different modules and pods. It wasn't designed to be built, but it was more designed to be a show set of plans so you could illustrate how 
a facility would work and the different parts and pieces and the rotations of a crop and so on and so forth. Uh, the jar was a variety that we call Chloe. Um, it's kind of a you know, accidental OG from Vegas when we were um, growing and distributing out here. We had some seeds and some weed that we had made and um, popped a few. And there was one standout and it was very OG leaning, but it had something different to it. When you take it out and smoke it, there's just something you can't place, but it's very desirable. Everybody who touches it and smokes it is just, you know, excited, they're satisfied, it, it hits the right buttons, it smells unique. So I kept it and I was growing that and Gorilla Glue. Gorilla Glue is a Vegas strain. I don't know if a lot of people know that, but um, uh, Josie Wales is what he went by on IC Mag. Um, he does have a real name. He's unfortunately passed away uh, about a year or two ago, but um, you know, I was lucky enough to get that cut early on. So I was running it and uh, Chloe primarily, and they did very well. So when I went to go see Larry, the IC Mag Cup in I think 2014 um, was coming around. And I was lucky enough to get an invite to that through, you know, just networking on the forums and knowing people, so on and so forth. And so I was going to send the Chloe. Um, I didn't grow the crop for show. I didn't grow it to win. I just was growing wheat. And I took a jar just right out of the pounds that we had. And that's what I took to his house. And I walked there with that jar and a, a container of bubble hash that we had made from the fresh frozen that was from that run. And I said, hey, um, here's plans for 25,000 square foot grow. Here's a jar of weed that I'm going to send to the International Canographic Cup, and we're going to win. And then we're going to go build this, and this is going to be our future. And they, like you said, they were kind of blown away. He was, his wife was making cookies when I walked in. Right? So the whole house smelled like chocolate chip cookies until I opened the jar. And then, yeah. boom, you know, the whole place just reeked. And, um, you know, the wife dressed me nice, so I, I looked good for the meeting. And um, prior work experience kind of prepared me for the discussion and we hit it off and executed on the vision i sent that weed off and we took second place um uh, second place i believe sativa that year and either second or third place hashish um which was you know for me a very exciting experience and then we proceeded to build the first grow in the medicine dispensary here in town amazing and I've been to that dispensary. I actually did a review of it when I was there the last time. And uh, I had a chance to sample Chloe's evil sister, or no, uh, the, the, the she's the nice sister, Irene. Irene. Irene's classic. Yeah, Irene is not my creation. I was lucky enough to get a hold of the cut early on in my career as it was passing you know, around. Um, so I don't think anybody really knows what it is. We sent it up to Phylos and it came back most closely related to Bubba, but it does not grow at all like Bubba. A lot of people say it's an OG or a diesel relative, you know, basically, you know, Southern US type historical origins, but I can't get a straight answer. It's very old school pot. Um, it's not the prettiest, it's not Instagram weed, that's for sure, but it's strong cannabis. It, it does the job, it's very relaxing. Um, people with stomach issues or nerve pain or muscle pain, it's great for that, um, great for sleep. But it's not the type of, I guess, sleep aid that'll put you to sleep just out of nowhere in the middle of the day. You know, if you're feeling it, you're tired, you smoke Irene, she relaxes you enough to just get a good night's rest. So um, Chloe, Irene, Mango, and MDB are probably my favorite varieties that we produce. Well, I'll tell you something. Um... You know, obviously, uh, at the day that I was there with uh, Larry the first time, and he walked me around what 
was the realization of your your little idea, but it was much bigger than your little idea. Uh, yes. <laughs> uh, you, I mean, I, again, still trying to put all these pieces together. One of the greatest auditions, one of the greatest interviews ever done. You ended up with the what arguably is one of the most premium jobs in the entire industry. And I you pinch myself every day <laughs> in, in one of the greatest cities. And now you're about to have consumer uh, cannabis lounges. And yes. Wow. Um, tell me how you feel, first of all, about that, because that was one of the things that Larry was talking to me about two years ago and mm -hmm. was excited about. So I know it was part of the, the, the original plan. Uh, now that it looks like it might be a possibility, what, what's going through your head? <laughs> a lot of work. That's what's going through my head. A lot of my day is spent, you know, planning and, and uh, developing SOPs and figuring out the how to do these visions. So um, back to the, the biggest story. Originally, when we built Medicine, you know, I, I was very much from the cannabis side. And when they, Larry and the guys were talking about Planet 13, they came in and said, OK, Chris, here's what we're going to do. We're going to build the biggest dispensary in the world. And, uh, you know, started going off. And I said, guys, guys, what are we doing? What are we, let's build the biggest grow in the world. Give me some vending machines on the strip and we're going to kill it. You know, and they're like, Chris, trust us. This is Vegas. We've got to do something unique. We've got to do something different. And I was hemming and hawing at first, but I said, OK, you, know, you guys have faith in me. I'll have faith in this. Let's let's do it. And, you know, that was a rush job getting it up and running. But it was a it was a miracle spectacle once it was you know, finally uh, to fruition. So that turned out well. And I see a similar path with these consumption lounges. Um, you know, everybody was humming and hawing about the ideas of what they're going to do, what they're going to be allowed to do, how it's going to work. And right now, uh, the rules are pretty much set. And we have this restaurant here, Trace, which I think is perfect for a lounge type setting. Because people, you know, you're very familiar with all the lounges, um, you know, from Amsterdam and your reviews of those. So, you know, you get it. People want to hang out enjoy some some nice drinks some coffee socialize smoke and you know have a good experience right so that's that's kind of what our my vision is at least provide a place where people can um, consume enjoy feel relaxed have fun you know, maybe have an event with their friends and i don't what do you say i don't think they're going to turn into huge party atmospheres like vegas i mean it's not like a nightclub quite yet here um but i do see it as a serious step forward for the industry and you know for vegas as a whole um, you know previously there's really nowhere for people to consume you see them walking down the street as soon as they leave the front door and they're you know looking for a, an alleyway or they light up on the sidewalk or whatnot out in the sun and at least now there'll be a place where they can go hang out you know have a few smokes, get a drink, get on the road. You know, based enjoy upon, the rest of their day on the strip. You know, based upon the commentary that uh, that that Larry was talking about and some of the visions he was talking about with a, the game room and with you know a bar here and uh, a, a, you know the lounge environment, it sounds a lot like a very high end, which is what I expected, a high end version of what they have in Barcelona, where you can actually drink alcohol. And the only thing that's going to be different now between Vegas and there is the fact that in, in Barcelona, everything is still sold deli style, right? Mm -hmm. Is, do you, I know, as a gray market grower, you've got to have one opinion about this. As a, a legal market retailer, you've got to have a different opinion about this. How do you feel yep. about this 
in general? Is, do you think it's deli style or the lounges? <laughs> well, in, basically in both cases here, what you've got is, is, is again, the advantage that, that I think Barcelona has, again, is having this type of a, of a deli style. Uh, I, mm -hmm. I talked with Larry when I left and I said one of the uh, uh, dispensaries that was there was having a farmer's market uh, that weekend where they had all the buds out in jars and, and everyone was still, and I guess that's been gone for a long time and that was even probably illegal <laughs> that he was saying, but uh, do you miss those times? And, and I'll, I'll, I'll go into another level with this. Do you think that might be part of what is holding back that keeps the gray market alive? So deli style, I think, is environmental based. This may be a new take on it. But one of the things growing up here in Nevada is our climate. It's hot and it's dry. And if you leave a bag of weed open, it will steal the soul from that weed in hours, right? So part of the reason our cannabis is um, what I consider superior and a lot of the effort and decisions we make in the cultivation arena are in an attempt to preserve that freshness and keep the weed away from the environment because the environment here is super harsh to the cannabis. So we have a, a, a we were the first, one of the first grows built and we built the grow around a walking cooler. The center of our grow is a giant walking cooler where all the weed stays. In our dispensary, we have a walking cooler that's 50 degrees where the weed stays. The bags that we, um, Sell in are a five layer matrix to try and preserve um, uh, the moisture, reduce oxygen and vapor transmission. And, you know, as an operator, to do that, to preserve that customer experience deli style in our environment, the first few guys that get into that jar are going to have a good time. The guys scalping off the bottom, they're not going to want anything to do with it. So that's where I am at with it. It's just trying to preserve that experience for the customer. And with Delhi style in Nevada, it can't really be done. California, you know, different environments where the, the air isn't so brutal. Yeah, Delhi style is cool. And in terms of what's holding the legal market back to the recreational market, that's a, a very interesting question. Um, it, sound, it centers around a lot of things, genetics, quality, price, culture, availability, right? So this whole, people have been smoking weed for a long time. You know, it's, it's not like now that it's legal that this just started, right? Like this is, and you know, the, the, the lack of understanding of the history of how we got here is one of the things that, that, that bothers me about the current state of legalization. But you see the people who are succeeding in the legal market are doing some things right. They're producing a quality product that's controlled, that they're curating, that's delivering a consistent level of customer experience at a good price, and they have a culture behind it, right? And there's a lot of the legal market that either just came in it for the cash, rushed at it too fast, and didn't understand the foundation that you need to put in place to deliver a product to a consumer. And once the consumer gets turned off to that, either through exorbitant prices, a dry bag, um, you know, a just bad bag, um, they, they tend to get turned off. Right now, pe weed's expensive, people don't have a lot of money, and if they're gonna come in and spend it, it needs to be worthwhile. And a lot of these people have a familiarity with someone in the black market that they know grows, they've been dealing with, and it's consistent. And, you know, until the legal market can, can compete with that on a quality and price standpoint, you know, that's yeah. where I think the battle is. A lot of that's taxes too. Yeah. Sure. Yeah, well, exactly. I mean, when I go to California and I, I go see my friend, my 
my uh, my friend there, you know, he pulls out 10, 15 jars. And uh, here's something, because you were talking about this, what about humidification packets? How, what's your opinion uh, on those? So they, they are useful in certain aspects, but to me, it's the variation in the cannabis storage environment that causes degradation. So if you have weed and you dry it way back, you can rehydrate it with moisture packs, but it's different. It's, um, it either gets spongy or it brings on a different aroma. It typically isn't the same as had you taken it from full moisture and dried it to that percentage. That's a given um, you know, set of ex existence. And then if you dry it too far and bring it back, it never quite gets back to that original quality level. You can rehydrate. Um, we use the very small boost packs and we use them in our long-term storage system. So we'll take the cannabis and do a turkey bag. And then that goes into uh, another container. That container's headspace we fill with um, uh, dry nitrogen. And to keep the dry nitrogen from robbing the moisture from the cannabis, we put um, a boost pack in that headspace to kind of maintain equilibrium in that storage container. So yeah. we use it for preservation, but not for rehydration. It does work. All right. So when, when COVID hit and, and, and tourists were not anywhere, did, did you guys end up with massive stockpiles of, of <laughs> I was imagining with all, you know, I know that the, I was in Jamaica and I know in Jamaica, they had massive stockpiles of, of buds all over the place. Uh, <laughs> we did not. Um, so we were kind of a unique situation, twofold. Our cultivation at that point was still small. We had, a, a it's like 150 lighter, the, the first grow. We were looking to expand, but we were only producing 10 or 20% of what we were selling anyway. So it's not like the grow had a huge backlog that we had to get rid of. Um, and we had a unique opportunity being Planet 13. And we pivoted to a delivery system very quickly. Yes. Within the first couple of weeks of COVID, we went from one car to 30 cars and from you know 20 deliveries to 1,000 deliveries a day. And because of that, we were able to, I don't want to say maintain the sales that we had, but keep the products that we had in our vault moving at a clip that if we were careful on our reorders, we weren't going to end up with a problem. And we made the pivot and it worked out and we did not get buried in weed, thankfully. <laughs> not yet, anyways. You know, when I was there, I have to tell you, I don't think I have still been in any place, any dispensary, anywhere in the world that has as many different products as you guys do. I mean, yes. that is one. Wow. Um, I, I am surprised. I was surprised at the, the, the range of products. And also, I saw so many new things that I hadn't seen before. You are at the cutting edge of the new products and the new goodies that are coming out. Can you tell me a couple, two or three that you've seen recently that maybe we haven't seen or that you just came out with that are that yes? Are and you special? and you hit on something. The Vegas um, experience and the ability, what we have here. Well, the reason you're seeing those unique things is because a lot of these brands are using Vegas as a launch point or a branding experience or a touch point for the customers across the nation. That's one thing that we wanted to do with Planet is change the perception of cannabis as this dirty, dingy, backhole, you know, devil's weed that, you know, was, was a menace to society, right? So when we built this place, we wanted it to be a showpiece. When you walk in, 
feels like you're walking into a high-end hotel or something, you know, on the strip. It'd be very familiar to the general public, but we have cannabis available. So we're doing our best to be good ambassadors for the plant and provide a, an elevated experience to the new consumer and the repeat consumer in general. Part of that mission is the ability to deliver new things, right? We have those earbuds. It was like, you know, Apple earbuds, but they're a vape pen. We have seasoning, like little packets of like steak seasoning that you can put on your, your food. Um, mm. What else do we have? Um, unique um, like travel size edibles, uh, little sprays, you know, things that are designed to be, um, I should say, stealthy or used on a trip or used on vacation. And, you know, all the new brands want to come to Vegas and get whatever that new hot product is branded on the shelves. We recently launched peanut butter cups, um, different sodas. We're working on a couple of new unique things um, currently in production right now. But the innovation is never ending. And especially in the extract and infused space, people are trying to find um, you know, all types of new things to put it in. We got macaroons. I don't know if you got a chance to try the macaroons when you were here. Those Hervé macaroons—they're like delicious candy. You know, it's a—it's yeah, <laughs> dangerous almost, but you know, it gets wild. It's crazy. You know, and I love the concept. Larry talked about uh, the the restaurant and how you how that's going to work with self-infusing. Can you talk about that yes. a little bit more? Yeah, we're trying to make it, um, I guess, fun and exciting and interactive and um, customizable, right? Um, let's pretend you're sitting down and you want a chocolate sundae. Okay, well, do you want, um, you, know, you want chocolate or caramel? And we'll get, do you want infused or uninfused, right? Um, you order a burger. Do you want ketchup or do you want infused ketchup, right? You, um, you order a salad. Do you want regular ranch or do you want the infused ranch? So trying to you know, have a place where people can sit down, order a meal and smoke. And if they want to get something infused in their meal, well, they can do that too, right? And providing a, a unique and tasty way to get that done. Right now, our executive chef has been kind of formulating different pairings. You know, what type of foods can we serve with a variety of, you know, toppings or sauces that would be good for this mix up, right? And we're working through that now, but hopefully it comes out um, as exciting as we think it will. Dude, and you know, for me, the thing that really closed that concept for me was the fact that you have transportation. And you know, when you're starting to deal with dosing yourself, and I, I <laughs> you know, you, you, easy to screw that one up. And uh, well, they, you know, you, they, sorry to cut you off, but they will be. We're dosing them. They're just doing the uh, how much of the tent. So the way the rules are written is each cup or each serving can only be 10 milligrams, but they can reorder up to 100 milligrams on one ticket. So it's kind of like you get a bar tap. It's beer by beer. We're letting them kind of titrate, but at least they know what they're getting with each with each serving. So we'll help yeah, them out yeah. a little bit. You're right. We do have uh, those two buses to get them home. Uh, and the full line of cabbies out front that'll be there to pick you up when you fall. Always, because it's one of the most popular places in town. But, you know, the, the whole idea of self-dosing, you know, one of my favorite products I saw at Spanibus last year was the uh, inhaler that looked like... Uh, yes, if you had asthma inhaler. Asthma. Yeah. Jeez, let me... 10 milligrams, 10 milligrams, 10 milligrams. <laughs> okay, I think I should slow down. There's 10 milligrams, there's 10 milligrams. Whoa, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Something shouldn't be that convenient. I don't know. Yeah, was, uh... <laughs> those things are great. Um, the the you guys you're also getting so you're gonna have a game room. You're going to have a dab room. 
Um, yeah, well, smoking uh, room, dab room, joints, whatever, bongs, yes, that's still a work in progress, but an area for you to consume. Yeah. Am I assuming correctly that they're, they're going to make you install one of those super expensive uh, air suckers? That, like, it's they insane. Have yeah. yeah. I haven't got the bill yet. We're still working on the engineering, but the regulations state that there shall be 20 complete air changes of the lounge. And if the area has smoking, there shall be 30 complete air changes. So basically you take the volume of your club and you must exchange that air 30 times per hour, right? So the, depending on how big the club is, that can get extraordinarily expensive. I, I have some friends that own one of the clubs, uh, cigar clubs in town. And, you know, I, I mentioned on one of the earlier shows how you could you could light a cigar there and take a puff off of it. And it doesn't even look like your cigar is going because the, the smoke is being sucked It's up. ripping it's it out. An, yeah. Such an incredible taste. Uh, it, it's going to be obviously impossible to get any kind of a contact high in any of these uh <laughs> that's their goal they were really concerned about the employees at first there was like talk wow. of like booths or helmets or respirators and everybody was just kind of whoa whoa what are we doing here but making sure that the cannabis establishment employees can work in there without getting high was actually one of the like uh, discussion points of the bill's crafting it was a real issue for the state you know how do we not expose people I mean, even in casinos with the secondhand smoke, they've done away with a lot of that. They got the filtration, you know, so um, they were really concerned with you know, people walking into a smoke filled room and you know, getting high at work. Yeah. Um, what do you think is going to happen with magic mushrooms? Do you think that that's something that's going to get legal in Vegas anytime soon? Oh, Vegas. <laughs> I don't know about Vegas. I do see the city to do magic mushrooms in though. I mean, come on, the, the, the lights are- There's up. a lot of lights. There's a lot of lights, man. You, your trip, I don't know if you've seen Fear and Loathing, but your trip can go many different ways in Las Vegas. <laughs> yeah. So funny story, that movie was actually filmed not in Vegas, but a lot of it was filmed in the little small town that I grew up in. So the very beginning backcountry where they're driving on their way to Vegas and the Cadillac, that was like right next to my house. Um, that was the road I took to go to school on every day. When he's in the junkyard calling his lawyer from the payphone, that yeah. was the gas station that you know we would eat at. It was the local gas station in Moapa where I grew up. Um, they just set up a fake phone and did the little you know shoot there. So um, it was an interesting tie-in back to the hometown. But back to the mushroom thing, I see it coming similar to the way cannabis did where it starts medical. You're seeing that already with the treatment of um, depression and PTSD and clinical trials. Um, there's a new documentary out, I believe it's called How to Treat Ourselves or something like that. It's a new magic mushroom documentary that just came out that really hits on that aspect of things. It's interesting because it kind of led to another thought that I was having, which was about the, the grandeur of Las Vegas and the celebrities and the high rollers and the big players. Uh, did you have, I, I mean, you grew up in the area, but I mean, did you have any idea, you know, once you would get here at the biggest dispensary in the world in Las Vegas, uh, how all of this was going to work out? <laughs> Not at all, man. So, you know, when I was starting out, it was everybody telling you how, you know, you're going to ruin your life and, you know, get off the drugs, kid. And, you know, get back to reality, grow up, yada, yada, you know, and um, 
the real like trip moment for me was right before the grand opening. We had a U.S. senator and a U.S. congressman come by, and they gave me an award, right, for our achievement for the largest dispensary in the world open in Las Vegas. And so, like, the the irony was not lost on me that my entire life I had been, you know, hunted and persecuted for what we're doing, and now I'm receiving an award from the highest level of the U.S. government for my accolades. And it was just a real, you know, turning point in my head. Um, it turns to the celebrities. It's just been fun. You know, I got to meet Mike Tyson. You know, when I was growing up, I we'd, we'd go to the buddy's house who had satellite to stay up late to watch the Mike Tyson fights, you know, and some of the UFC fighters, some of the comedians, you know, just different folks coming through and getting a chance to, you know, shake hands or talk to them about um, the plant has been, you know, really entertaining and real rewarding. We had um, two chains come through for his most expensivest show. And it yeah. was great. So, you know, somebody put together a little bag for him and he goes, where's the weed man at? Let me talk to the weed man. So he comes over. He's like, he shows me what they gave. He goes, any of this any good? And I was like, nah, man, you don't want that. Let me go get you some good stuff. So I got him some Irene, some diesel, oh, yeah. some Chloe. <laughs> you know, we had one or two good ones in the bag, but we hooked him up with the real stuff. And then watching him, he's a real smoker, right? He walked right outside, immediately cracks all the bags and just starts smelling them, pulling the buds out. And I'm like, that's a man you got to you know, keep happy. Like he knows <laughs> weed. You can't be giving him just a marketing bag out of the back. It's not going to fly. So uh, it's been a very interesting and um, rewarding journey for sure. So the, the fantasy questions that are in my head is uh, what's been the biggest uh, tab so far? We're always limited by the, um, what you'd say, the purchase limit. We have a one ounce purchase limit. But the biggest tab, I think we're going to be the um, gold wrapped joints. So we had these giant, I think it was seven or 14 gram gold wrapped canagars that were produced by Lyra um, in conjunction with Virtue. And I think we had, you know, 30 or 50 of them um, that we had manufactured and they were $1,000 a piece. It did take us a while to go through them, but there were some people who bought, you know, one or multiple of those on a ticket and those had to be the biggest tickets in the shop. Uh, obviously, you've had a chance to smoke one of those uh, $1,000 Canagars. How are they? Ah, they're more for show, in my opinion, um, than for go. Um, just with the gold and just the amount of stuff and you know, how, how long they sit there and so on and so forth. They're very well made and they're very nice. But it goes back to that, you know, just clean, fresh herb on glass. You know, that's where it's at for me. So, um, you know, hard. Getting to... No, but you you're going right into something perfect, which had to do with the concentrate market, which is really yep. it, it's growing exponentially, right? Massive, massive. I still remember we had um, like a little local gathering on 420. Uh, I think it was back in 2013 or 2012, and I remember we we rent out this big mansion every year, and everybody would pitch in a couple hundred bucks and probably be like 15 to 25 people. Um, and they're, you know, close friends over there just having a little 420. We'd have a little private cup, you know, for the local guys and just kind of enjoy, enjoy the day. But I, I won't forget that last year, um, we were sitting in the backyard and I look around and there's just parchment paper and torches everywhere. And it's, I'm just like, what's going on? Like, this is different. I've never been to a, a scene where the majority of the tables have parchment paper and torches on. You know, and, that, and then it's just been a rapid evolution from that point on. You know, we started, you saw it come from Shatter, um, 
and to, to where it's at now. I mean, you can't even really sell shatter. I mean, people do, but it's just like the amount of evolution that's happened in the concentrate markets is, is staggering. Um, we were lucky enough to be one of the first guys doing butane extracts in Las Vegas. So we've been with it from the beginning. I was curious, how are the rules there? I mean, are, what are you limited at? Uh, it's 3,500 milligrams of active THC per purchase. So you can purchase an ounce of weed or you can purchase, it's usually close to four grams because a gram of concentrate is usually 60 to 80% potency. And if you add that up, um, you usually get about four before you hit the 3,500 milligram limit. In terms of manufacturing, uh, there's a list of approved solvents. We stick with butane propane blends. Um, and then there's a list of solvents that they test for. Uh, trying to recall that list. Um, don't have it memorized, but there's four or five solvents that they are, allow you to use and they test for, for the residual in the concentrate. And as long as you can um, use one of the approved methods and come in under limits, it's, it's very easy. Um, the hard part was getting through certification. When we started, the Nevada Fire Department hadn't done any of this. It, there wasn't a lot of rules on this. There's not an IVC code for marijuana extraction devices. Um, there's very few professional engineers who will certify and stamp the machines. So Nevada, they either wanted a UL listed device or something certified, peer reviewed and stamped by a professional engineer. So UL is not gonna take in a marijuana extract their due runs until it's safe. So we had to go the peer reviewed route. Uh, we, I was lucky enough, again, I was on IC Mag and I linked up with a guy, his handle on there was Gray Wolf, but his name, his real name's J.D. Ellis. And uh, he was up in Washington, uh, used to work for, uh, I believe it was Precision Cast Parts. Uh, they would manufacture components for NASA projects. Um, he was a, basically an a engineering development project leader. So if they say, okay, we need to weld some weird materials together in an inert gas under a vacuum to make this part, he would develop the, the industrial processes to achieve that. Uh, when he retired, uh, you might have he heard of uh, Future 4200. He's pretty popular nowadays on the forums. Um, Kat, I forget her last name. Um, can't believe it just escapes me right now. It's a really catchy last name too. Uh, but that group of individuals was really at the um, heart and the, the soul of the beginning of this solvent extract train. You know, on Irwid, there was a guy, there was some plans for, you know, plastic PVC pipe extraction. And that's what most people were doing. Um, some people moved to glass, but the real evolution of the tech was the whole closed loop methodology. So um, what JD did and doesn't never gets a lot of credit for was um, release open source to the public, the designs and layout for the first turpinator. Turpinator he coined as you know, the, the, his machine to pull the turps off the cannabis. And we had a friend who was dying of cancer, saw the people using plastic tubes and said, there's gotta be a better way. So he put together, the, he's called the, I think it was the Mark One or the Mark Three, you know, in his garage and put the plans out online. And then you saw things start to evolve, you know, um, people building kits from glacier tank parts and, you know, turp extractors, then Sub-Zero, you know, all those original systems were based off his original design. Uh, we contracted him in um, early on and just kind of worked with him to put together a system that would work for us and that we could get through certification. So he, you know, we had the whole pressure vessel calced out, rated, ASME stamped from ground up from scratch, and then have the whole system peer reviewed um, from scratch, got it through Nevada Fire Review. And we were some of the first, I believe the first people producing butane extracts in Nevada 
legally. That's awesome. Now, let me ask you about dabbing once you get into your cannabis lounge or when you get into the lounge uh, consumption lounge. Now, in my mind, I'm imagining you're probably, you have to have everything for everybody. So you have to have the whole, and I always, I, I always call it the free base setup. So that the, the and you guys all look like you're freebasing in here with this. Yeah. This is crazy. Now there are some really cool new products. I mean, Puffco has a uh, what's the new one? The Pronto. Peak. The, the Peak, and they have a Pronto oh, pipe. Oh cool. yes. That, that, that and I've I've even seen some custom glass makers that are making uh, really beautiful uh, uh, Sherlock's for them. Yeah. Yes, exactly. They're beautiful. And, uh, I think like that's really going to advance that whole um, element of the market. Um, are the numbers showing that it's, it's growing at the rate that? It is a growing segment um, for two reasons. One, um, you know, people have been, that have been smoking a long time, some of them gravitate toward concentrates for greater flavor or smaller intake to get the same effect. You know, somebody might not want to keep smoking joints. They might have a high tolerance, so they, They'll go take a dab just to you know, get the job done real quick with a small amount of, of inhale. And then you have the opposite side of that where it's kind of intimidating. You just hit it on the head with this whole, you know, the free base setup. You know, once you tell people that they've got to buy a tool and a piece of glass and a torch, they, they start to question whether or not this is a good idea. You know, um, a lot of them gravitate toward vape pens and it's, it, you see it with the vape pens, the, People that are new, even if you tell them you have to have a battery and screw it on, that's too much setup. They just want it all in one hit and go. So what the disposables have evolved to now is basically a rechargeable, non-refillable standard vape pen. Just everybody wants a half gram. They want the battery included. They need to recharge it, but they don't want to have to deal with the mental confusion of buying two things and putting them together. Uh, so, so now it, it is what it is. I see... Um, also in that shift for the, the smoking pen. So there's like um, travel size, almost like a honey badger micro kind of things. You know, I see those getting very popular. Um, you see people selling pre-filled uh, either atomizers or cartridges with either flour or wax to attach to these things. You can just buy it already preloaded and just rip it and go. I don't think they'll let us have torches um, in the consumption lounge. I don't recall if that's in the regs or not but i see that being a, a recipe for a lawsuit somebody's going to burn somebody somewhere we're probably going to yeah. end up with you know e-nails or some sort of pen device like you described um, sure. to try and give them the opportunity but keep them from lighting each other's hair on fire you know another one of my favorite uh, uh kind of innovative uh, uh technologies i picked up at your spot in las vegas and i'm i'm gonna massacre the name is it banky Bensky, B-E-A-B-E-N-S-K. Yeah, Bensk. Bensk. Okay. And they yep. sold, it was a, a preloaded, I think it was 200 hits of live rosin in a disposable, non-flammable. You just hit it. You opened yeah. it up, started taking hits. I took that with me to a UFC event. I never have to, I never left my seat uh, the entire <laughs> nice. night. Yeah, everybody, oh, we're going to go get a beer. Have a good time. I'm going to be right here. I'll be <laughs> Uh, I, I made it, it worked beautifully also in a stealth mode going to Disneyland uh, through security, through everything. It was yes. like, it's such a, it's such a nondescript item. I love those types of products. 
And you hit on the head. People don't realize those vape pens don't set off metal detectors. They're non-ferrous. You know what I'm saying? Metal detectors are detecting you know knives and guns and brass knuckles, not a little vape pen. So um, yeah, oh. kudos to you for discovering the magic of Disneyland. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. Well, I've I've had a long history of doing it even before, but now that they've got the 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 five O type of. Uh, uh, security. It's a little bit crazy. You know, I wanted to ask you about also about your, your, um, uh, the, uh, the cannabis museum. Yes. Uh, and I'm going to, so, so what's the plan? I gotta say that I am not much involved in the cannabis museum. Um, out of all the things we talked about, that's the one thing that I don't have a lot to do with. I know, um, there was a group in town that had the museum and we've been working together with them to, to bring it over here. Larry's been much more involved in that discussion and that rollout. I'm stuck in the garden and working on figuring out how to take dabs in the <laughs> while eating your yeah. burger too. You know, <laughs> the museum's kind of well, handling I, itself. Okay, yeah, because I, I did mention to him that I had just finished doing an interview with uh, Jair uh, Velman, who you would probably remember from the lighting company that he was involved in for for years and years and years. Gavita, Gavita, uh, yes, right? Yes, yes. And he could, and he's dab star. And anyway, he's got the world of cannabis. And uh, it, while I was doing the interview with him, he mentioned to the fact of he was telling me about all these amazing items that he has, and that he they never got a chance to actually open the doors because of uh, COVID. And uh, and I said, well, you mean it's just kind of sitting around your house right now? Because I think I'm pretty sure that that Plant Thirteen is getting ready to open up a museum. And uh, I'm sure they would be interested in seeing or at least hearing what you've got. So if you get a chance, look online because you'll be able to see it. And he's he's got uh, photos of the, the collection and some of the, the highlights of it that are online. And uh, you guys might be able to play Let's Make a Deal. <laughs> yeah, I'll have to check it out uh, once they wrote me into that project. I heard some talk of a, the world's largest bomb. That's about the only thing I know over there. It was like a two-story bomb. I don't know. <laughs> but Absolutely. Other than that, I've been out of it. That's a must. You you mentioned uh, uh, somebody who is very near and dear to my heart. Uh, early on, uh, you were talking about uh, Josie Wales, uh, yeah. creator creator of uh, Gorilla Glue, and he also yes. worked with uh, Lone Wadi and uh, another. Do you? I mean, this is one of the great cultivars of all time. And yes. One of the things that that he was talking to me about before he died was about cultures now you're from a growing standpoint and i'd love to get your feedback on this so he was talking about in his mind seeing the future not necessarily in seeds and selling seeds to people to regenerate a or to grow a specific cultivar but to use a culture of the oh environment. tissue culture plant tissue culture yes. Yes. It's funny okay. you say that. <laughs> I've got it a, uh, right here is a, a consulting agreement from somebody um, to try and get one set up here. So I am very much intrigued by this. Um, early on, very early on, I was giving an iris in a jar. It's the first time I'd seen a tissue culture. And there was a guy doing this research on a lot of plants that weren't cannabis, but he was trying to break in. And so he had dropped a bunch of these off at the local grow shop and they were giving them out. And I was fascinated. I'd put, given it to Larry and he'd put it on his desk. And for a year, it sat there on his desk. The leaves started growing over the top. He was just bewildered that it was still alive, right? And <laughs> me too, I was intrigued. I couldn't, 
wrap my head around how this has happened. So I do think there is a future in that big time. Uh, where we're seeing, I guess, the, um, the real benefit for it is in um, cleaning genetics and preserving and rehabilitating old genetics. So you see this hop latent virus going around. I know people have um, genetic tests to test for it and uh, methods in the tissue culture process to get away from it, to, you know, to clean a plant from it. Um, I have heard of people taking you know, 20 or 30-year-old cuts that have just been around the block and have lost a lot of their vigor, um, putting them through tissue culture and, and re revitalizing them, almost like they were fresh from seed and producing stronger, more vigorous clones. And those clones yield better because of the added vigor of going through the TC process. Um, where we aren't yet and where we need to go is the ability to long-term store these genetics in culture. And maybe somebody's figured it out, but all of the consultants or researchers that I've talked to have talked about that it's you've got to keep the plant moving through the process. It's not a put it in culture and put it in the fridge for a year sort of thing. It's a put it in culture and move it down the line to make a new plant. And when we right. can get to the point where we can create, um, I know people working on synthetic seeds where they're creating an embryo, and then you can keep that on ice or in a freezer for a long period of time, and then ship that and store it. That's going to be a huge um, advancement for us. But you know it's coming by virtue of that's how most agricultural you know, varieties are started. Like if you go to an orchid greenhouse, they don't have mom orchids or orchid seeds. They get you know, shipments of orchid tissue cultures that go into their lab, then they propagate out and bring from there into their facility. You, it's gonna get weird as it starts to grow, but you know, to, to have a clean garden, people are either gonna be starting from seed or from culture you know, mm -hmm. in the future, in my opinion. Right. But, you know, here's the thing. There's so few people that actually know, especially Joe Q public, that know how to even work with the culture. It's, yeah, from what I understand, it's very um, specific. It's not that it's hard, but that you have to know what you're doing. The hormone recipes, the media recipes, the timing, uh, the clean room techniques, it's easy to mess up. Uh, I, it seems to be similar to uh, mushroom growing, um, <laughs> you know, funny enough. Uh, with the, the whole culture, sterile environment, um, laminar flow hood and such. So um, it is high tech and a lot of the consultants are charging uh, a severe premium because the information is limited, but there are several players out there with reasonable programs um, who are providing and sharing this knowledge. And I think over the next five to 10 years, you'll see a lot more of it um, in the mainstream for sure. Yeah. Oh, man. Well, listen, I am so excited to come back to, to Vegas. Um, I uh, Oh, the one other question I was always going to ask you about, which I asked Larry about, but he, I think he said it was more went over to your side. When he Go gave me the first walk around and he gave me the first tour, he, he pointed at an area and goes, this is going to be our, our cannabis education center over here. Mm -hmm. And he said that now, uh, can you tell me about, because uh, the, you are running a, a very uh, uh, continuous uh, education program for your bud tenders. Um, yes. Can you talk a little bit about that? Because it's one of the been one of the banes of my existence is about educating the bud tenders and people who are talking to your customers. It's it's huge for us, um, and it goes back to that um, you know being a good ambassador to the plant and creating a branding experience for people who who are new to this. So. Having a solid in-house training program was part of the foundation of this place when we, at its inception, everybody that operates here, we go through about a two week 
you know, training course where they, they learn about the plant, terpenes, there's tests involved, there's practical exams, shadowing on the floor. We want to make sure that when we put someone out there who's going to engage with the customers, that they know the products, they know the plant, they know how to convey that experience to a customer. We're not selling widgets. We're not selling pens. We're selling trips, right? So trips to happiness. And somebody has to be able to get an understanding of where you want to go on your vacation and how to get you there, right? And providing that education to our bud tenders, you know, is, is key to them delivering that um, true experience to the customer. And then taking that one step further, you know, we've had different um, iterations of it, but I think more and more it's pushing towards this consumption outside. But, you know, having events where people can come in and maybe do a terpene flight. Maybe it's Mercy Mondays. And on Monday, we're going to have uh, a little thing where we have a flight of four different strains that have myrcene and you can come in and we'll teach you what myrcene is. We'll let you smell a bottle of myrcene and we'll give you four different dabs that all have myrcene at different levels with different accompanying terpenes. And you can try and sense the myrcene through each, you know, taste and, you know, stuff like that. I can see um, really coming to the uh, forefront with this lounge because now we have a place to do it. Before it was all theory and a whiteboard and talking about stuff. And it's hard to you know, explain the cup color purple to somebody who's never seen it, right? Mm -hmm. And once you can get them there and show them and let them smoke and be like, oh, that's what you mean by couch lock. I can't move. Uh, you know, oh, that's what you mean by racy, you know? And, and to be able to, to educate them, provide them with the experience, and then I guess further their uh, knowledge in this, this field. That's, that's gonna yeah, be yes. huge when that lounge comes on. Oh. Oh God, I, I, you know, cause that was what Larry and I were originally talking about. And what I was imagining when he was talking about this space was that it was going to be something education, not just for the bud tenders, but for the public as well. And yep. we talked about having roaming bar, uh, bud tenders that, you know, it says, oh, so I see that you just bought some OG Kush. Do you know, do you know how you can tell that's OG Kush? You know, and, and actually engaging with the people. Do you know how to smell that bud properly so you can tell if that's a narrow leaf uh, dominant or a broad leaf dominant? You know, and going around and almost like a magician would do, just like you do with everything else in, in Planet 13, where it's over the top with, with ridiculous hospitality. I, and you, oh. you just hit the, the broad leaf and narrow leaf thing is even something we're trying to educate people on, right? It's still, you know, you see a lot of the mainstream uh, outlets converting from the whole indica sativa nomenclature um, right. to the more accurate, you know, broadleaf and narrowleaf drug type. Um, thanks, Rob Clark, for that. You know, and that's another good example. Like a lot of people have no idea who Rob is or the history of this or how this is coming about, but eventually that will be the standard. Because as a cultivator, I get to see it firsthand every day. You know, I have a little short squat plant with very narrow leaves that flowers in 50 days and smokes like an Afghan, but it's a narrow leaf drug type hybrid, you know? And um, it's just, um, I guess, part of that um, education process that we're ever, ever involved in, um, yeah, that's gonna be definitely at the forefront of that lounge to be able to show them what the plant looks like and then let them experience it, you know? Dude, I, I mean, my head has been spinning ever since when I saw the first news report, I, my head started going, I, I can see a little tiny stage maybe set up some over there or maybe in the bar so that when yeah. you've got uh, the bands coming in town, you could do little acoustic sets in there and you go. A comedy oh set, God. a magic uh, set. Yeah, you know? <laughs> exactly. I, I told Larry, I said, what you're going to have to sell is sleeping bags. 
because nobody's going to want to leave. You're just, just zip me up in the bag. I'll sleep there. What time do you open in the morning? Perfect. You know, well, I'll be at the, I'll be at the bed. <laughs> exactly. Dude, listen, I know it's, it's, you're very busy and thank you so much for taking the time and thank you for spending some time with uh, my, my, uh, my viewers here. And I can't wait to come back to Las Vegas and can't wait to get back to Planet 13. I can't wait to have you back. And uh, thank you very much for having me on. It's um, quite an honor um, to be on a show um, with uh, you know, the caliber of guests that you've had. Um, again, another high point in the cannabis career. So thank you. Enjoy your time over in Portugal. And uh, we'll yep. talk soon. You, we will. Jackpot. Got it. Thank <laughs> All you. Right. You rock. See you, thank you, sir. Bye. All right. Hi, everybody. Welcome back. Hey, what did I tell you? Is he incredible or what? I can't wait to get back to Planet 13. I am going to be so high. You're going to just put a big sleeping bag for me right on the floor, and I'll just sleep there. I don't even need a hotel room. <laughs> okay, well, this has been great. I think we are uh, just about done. Oh, yeah, yeah, one more thing. Hit it. Hello, smokers and vapors. I am Herbert M. Green, and I am back with a new bot report. Today, I'm going to do something slightly different again, and I'm going to be straight with you all. For a while now, I have um, seen a trend evolving when it comes to cannabis quality here in Amsterdam. I have an idea of why the quality in Amsterdam is going down steadily. I just don't have any evidence of it, so I'm not going to go into it here, but I might come back to it in a, on a later date. Because the weed in the Amsterdam coffee shops is more than not disappointing me lately. Uh, the quality has, like I said before, gone down steadily. And I'm not just talking the uh, regular mom and pop stores or uh, the, 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 the lesser known coffee shops no I'm also talking about the ones that are always named as being the best coffee shops in Amsterdam and are always on the top five lists I try to buy a new strain every time I get there to sort of get a idea of the quality consistency in Amsterdam and more times than not I will come back disappointed so I'm now forced well force is not the right word I have taken it up as a mission to track down and get in contact with all the best growers here in Holland. And I'm not just looking for any grower. I am specifically looking for those craft growers. And they are out there. I've seen it. I, I know that there is top quality cannabis to be found here in the Netherlands. You just have to look a little bit harder than just the coffee shop around the corner. So that's what I did. And not too long ago, I succeeded in contacting one of the best craft growers collectives here in Amsterdam named Afrogenetics. And today I want to talk to you about uh, one of their camouflars, which is named OG Curaçao. So here goes. Okay, as always, I want to start out with the aroma profile of this particular bud. The high notes of this bud are heavily sweet and herbaceous and immensely spicy. 
I get notes of uh, sweet rosewood and the herbal spiciness of ciderwood with a pinch of flowery lavender. At the end of this aroma profile, I also detect a hint of sharp gassiness, something more towards a piney and turpentine sensation. At the end of the aroma profile, I also detect a hint of sharp gassiness, something more towards piney slash turpentine sensation than anything truly chemical like diesel. So it's much more organic. The undertone is earthy, but even there the forest and woody theme keeps permeating through the damp and fresh earthy scent. This leads me to believe that the terpene profile most likely consists of a combination of uh, linenol and uh, geraniol that is responsible for that flowery lavender layer. Then most definitely myrcene and eumeline for that earthy undertone. It has lots of caryophylline uh, that gives it that spicy peppery edge. Now there's definitely some L-limonene in there and mainly alpha-pinene uh, to give that gassy sharpness and only a little bit of beta-pinene to give that herbaceous finish. But terpenol, I think, is the driving force behind this particular aroma profile because that terpene's scent profile pretty much sums up the whole characteristic of this nug. It carries the aroma almost on its own because terpenoline is often described as fresh yet smoky, woody yet herbal, with hints of citrus and lime, maybe some pine there as well. It's also floral and deeply herbaceous. So that kind of sums up the whole aroma profile of this OG Curaçao in just one terpene. So I'm pretty sure that terpenoline is the dominant terpene in this profile. I could be wrong, of course, and that's why I would like to see an HPLC report to actually see if I'm right or not. I would definitely admit if I'm wrong, but this is just what my nose and my senses is picking up. So taking the terpene profile, uh, that profile would suggest that this bud will most definitely, mostly give you a sedative effect, a calming, relaxing, mostly body high sedative effect. But it also has this compensating, almost offsetting euphoric and energetic side to the effect. And that's due to the L-limonene and the L-vapinene. Those are more the wake-up terms, so to speak. So in other words, effect-wise, this bud is what we can call a typical and true hybrid camouflage because it has both that energetic and sedative property. You can also see that in the overall bud structure of this nug because it is both dense, slender and tall at the same time. So that's also that perfect match between a BLM and an NLM. Another reason why I love this bud is because I can see that this has been both dried and cured well. When we look closely to the trichomes, we can see that there is mostly milky and opaque trichome heads there. Yet there are also quite a few beautiful 
amber brown trichome heads there that really shows you that it's been aged well cured correctly and given the terpenes enough time to really ripen up and create a robust and i would say almost full-grown profile i can say it's aged to perfection the overall color of the butt looked exactly as i would expect from a top quality butt it was fresh but in this case still nice and beautiful dark green color now here comes the only and only minor negative feedback on this particular bud and that is that i spotted some yellowish green almost yellow u on the inside of the knock close to the stem and that leads me to suspect that this bud while growing might have gotten a little bit too much nutrients it might be overfed just a tiny bit or maybe not all the nutrients were flushed out properly during the flushing phase i don't know i'm just saying it's there i'm just saying it's there it's very subtle but it is there now i would not even have noticed this if i did not also have the same suspicion while vaping this when i vaped it i could clearly taste a slight salty bitter aftertaste to it and that usually indicates that there are still nutrients in the plant after it dried and that will impact the flavor a little bit again it was so minor that it didn't take away from the quality of the flavor or the aroma in general but i do want to stay objective and unbiased so i do have to mention that observation all in all this bud is better than you would probably find in most coffee shops in amsterdam again i'm not saying that all coffee shops in amsterdam have now only crap quality weed absolutely not but it's a lot harder to find that really good top shelf quality nowadays so this is definitely better than most of the weed you can buy in the Dutch coffee shops at the moment, at least here in Amsterdam. So if you do find yourself in Amsterdam and you want to try this, I would highly recommend it. Go to Afrogenetics Instagram channel, try to contact them over there. They will probably direct you to another means of, contact, uh, um, of contacting them on Instagram or just contact me directly and I can get you into touch. That's it for now. I'm Herbert M. Green. This was my bud report about OG Curaçao by Afrogenetics. And I will be back soon with another bud report. Bye. Uh, cherry wine is the highest CBD strain developed by our friends in Bocaron and Hellfish, which is a cannabis social club in Torre Molinos. There you can actually sample this goodness. It was grown outdoors under the Spanish sun and the standard quality, of course, organically. What differentiates this strain is the unusually high CBD content that makes this mainly sativa strain not only a good daytime smoke, but has added value a lot of CBD too, for different ailments of body and the soul. Smell is unbelievable sweet, taste is fruity with tones of mango on the back of your tongue, very well cured since no harshness can be felt inhaling this goodness. If you're passionate about cannabis, you definitely should try our strain. And if you are visiting Spain, don't be shy, come say hi. I love this help people discover the secrets of Spanish brewing cannabis culture. Peace and love to you all. A tip from us in Spain to you all over the world. 
always smile to the person you're passing the blunt. Thank you for listening. All right. Hey, everyone. How was that? What a great bud report, huh? What? We covered Amsterdam and Spain. Incredible. All right. Well, welcome back to the space station. I'm obviously waiting for a few more players here to get our uh, future Las Vegas game going here. But we will be back next Wednesday with a brand new Wake and Bake. And you guys have an awesome weekend, and I will see you then. Bye. <laughs> it's Captain Hooter. Far out, man. <laughs>